Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, fam. It's Amara Jones. Welcome to the Translash Podcast, a show where we tell trans stories to save trans lives. Before introducing today's show, we're going to take a moment to ask for your help and brag on ourselves. The Translash Podcast has been nominated for a Webby Award, Balloon Drop. This is a big nomination celebrating the best of the internet, and winners are decided by popular vote. So, if you could take a moment to go vote for us, I would, and all of us at Translash would appreciate it so much. Go to vote.webbyawards.com. You can find our show in the podcast category under diversity and inclusion. You can find the link to vote in the description of this episode as well. Now, onto our show. Since it's time to commemorate Mother's Day, I wanted to take today's show to highlight the moms in our communities. Moms, both chosen and biological, shape who we are in fundamental ways. Trans people are often seen as people without families, but today we will talk to those whose love has had a powerful and positive impact on those closest to them and beyond. First, I have a hard but essential conversation with Terry Edmonds, a fierce advocate for her daughter, Dominique Remy Fells, who is a Black trans woman lost to violence last year. Terry wants us to hear about the power of her daughter and her legacy. You could see Remy from a mile away. She had a light about her, even from the time she was maybe five or six. Please know that this part of our show goes to some difficult places. But ultimately, Terry's love shines through. Either way, I just want to give you a heads up so that you can do whatever you need to do to take care of yourself. And after that, I sit down with Lysiah Wade, the founder of the incredible grassroots organization Brave Space Alliance in Chicago, who is also a new mother. She discusses the importance of both biological and chosen mothers in the fight for trans liberation. I was like, I think you're pregnant because you have been nothing but an ass to me uh, these last few days. And then he looks at me and was like, why in the hell is you in my head? I went to the Walgreens today and I got a pregnancy test and I'm pregnant. Now, before we get into our show, I just want to wish a big happy Mother's Day to all the trans moms out there and the other moms who support and love and fight for their trans kids especially during this year. You all deserve the world, and I appreciate you so much. Our heart also goes out to those who have had difficult relationships with or who have lost their mothers. We are lifting you up. 
As always, we're going to start off our show with a little bit of trans joy. One thing lifting my spirits this week is the all-important work being done to make sure families have the resources to support their trans children. That's why I'm highlighting Gender Spectrum. It's an organization that runs support groups and does other outreach to make sure trans youth are affirmed and loved. They have specialized groups for Black and POC trans teens and also have gatherings for Spanish speakers. Lillian Riveda is Gender Spectrum's Director of Family Programming. She says they also have meetings geared towards helping parents of trans kids. Our support groups are really a place for parents to meet other parents on gender journeys, to be able to uh, create the community they need uh, in order to be the best present parents uh, that affirm and nurture their children's gender. And most importantly, I've seen parents who have been on this journey a little longer really role model what affirming and nurturing parents for trans children and teens looks like. To Lillian and everyone working at Gender Spectrum, thank you for the work you're doing to support trans youth and their parents. You are trans joy. One perspective that I don't think we hear enough is from the families of trans women who've been lost to violence. These women had full lives, people who loved them, and community. The loss of their lives is deeply felt by the many people who loved and embraced them, but too often they are dehumanized, reduced to the act of violence against them in media and elsewhere. That's why for our Mother's Day episode, I invited Terry Edmonds to sit down to talk to me about her incredible daughter, Dominique Remy Fells. Friends have described her as a social butterfly, an aspiring fashion designer, and someone who, quote, lived her truth so loud that you could hear her a mile away, close quote. Her life was taken last summer, and the man accused in that murder faces a preliminary hearing later this month. Terry, thank you so much for joining me. I know that this is a difficult time of the year, especially as we come up on Mother's Day. And I know that I speak for everyone who's listening and, of course, everyone at the Translash podcast team that we send you our condolences at this very hard moment um, and one that you should not be facing. Thank you, uh today for having me, for spending your time in talking with parents of Black transgender women who have hearts, souls, and family that love them and friends. Absolutely. So I think one of the things that's really important is for us to bring her into the conversation for people who didn't know her. So can you tell us about her and what would be among the first things we would notice about her? I'm going to go back to the statement. She lived her life that you could see her from a mile away. You could see Remy from Mm -hmm. a mile away. She had a light about her. Even from the time she was maybe five or six, she loved fashion. She loved being artistic with many things in her life. I don't know if Anyone knows, but I used to say she had the talents 
that I wish that I had when I was her age. At 15, we got a sewing machine. She could make clothing. She could do hair. She could do makeup. She loved people. She loved her Nana and her Pop Pop. Uh, She loved her sisters. She has two sisters, Desiree and Dior. And they were her support. And they supported each other. And then I was her support through good and bad times. One of the things that is so clear in what you have even just painted for us is one, the love that you all had for her. Two, the fact that her family was a part of her life and embraced her. And three, just how full of life and talented she was and gifted she was. And I think that that's a really important story because so often the idea is that Black trans women are without family and without love and without support. And so I'm wondering if you can just talk to us about how you all were able to embrace her through transition, through becoming the woman that she always was. Well, this is this is another story within itself. She graduated from high school and she went off to Cheney University outside of Philadelphia. And she went to school and she was going for, you know, for fashion. And I'd say maybe the second year she started talking and she came in and she said, Mom, you know, I want to talk to you. And so we talked and she just told me at that point she wanted to transition. And my words to her were, I'm fine with whatever whatever you want to do or whoever you would like to become. I said, the only thing as a mother I was concerned is, is the outside world. At mm. home, she was my child. She was my daughter. When she told me that's, that's what we said, daughter. We didn't use any other term for her. When she decided a couple of years later that she wanted to start to transition and, you know, do uh, implants, you know, we supported her in, in that way too. So often, a lot of our daughters are misgendered. They are taught that what they're doing is not right for them. Her outside didn't match her inside. And that's what she was, that's who she wanted to be and who she wanted to become. I just want her to be healthy, happy, and whole doing that and being the person that she wanted to be and doing hair and fashion and talking with people. She could strike up a conversation with anyone that was on the street. One of the things that we did growing up was we gave back and my three children would give back and and do activities with my job, with caring for you know children in our community, and the love that I had for her will, again in good and bad times, would never end for me. It sounds like on some level you weren't that surprised when she sat down next to you. I'm wondering if in some ways you always knew you were, you were, were you preparing yourself or were you, had the thought occurred to you before that, you know, my child was assigned this gender, but it, you know, it sounds like 
this may not be right. I, I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit about that. Yes. Um, actually, I have an Aunt Helen, which would be my aunt, which would be Remy's great aunt. She uh, was one who played another pivotal role in her life. And she had conversations with, with her. Then those other conversations would spill over to mom. And so at that point in her, in, in her life, I, I knew that what she exhibited on the, on the outside wasn't who she really was. I'm going to go back to a story. She was in second grade. And, you know, she would stand up with the, with the girls. She would do different things. And they actually called me in for a conference. They were talking about gender identity. And so there, there were conversations early on. And as a mother and as a single mother, you love your children. So you're going through day to day. And one of the things that you don't really think about is that those feelings happen earlier than we want to think. Mm -hmm. It's just what parents do with it and being supportive at an earlier age versus an older age. Mm -hmm. That makes the difference. So I I was prepared in, in that sense. It sounds as if as well, one of the first things that came to your mind was a concern for Remy's safety. Mm-hmm. And were you concerned equally all along or it, after a while it just kind of went away? As a parent, you know, you always, you worry about your children <laughs> um, on a day-to-day basis. Um, mine just had an extra layer to it. And, you know, we always talked about like being safe, being safe in the community. You know, one of the things I will tell you is that, you know, that some of the things that she experienced, they, she doesn't always, she didn't always tell me. Mm. And one of the things I'd like to say for parents, it's important that, you know, your children feel hundred percent comfortable in being able to talk to you. And I think for her, a lot of it, she just didn't want to to scare me. So she held a lot of things in. And that's hard for any mother, you know, to know that your your child is experiencing things that you really have no clue about. It's important to be supportive. Can you talk about the last time that you saw or spoke to her? Do you mind just talking about that? The last time that I, I actually spoke to her was she she called and said, Mom, I need a, a ride to um, to a friend's. And we had gotten her a, a lift. And then I got a text message uh, a few days later just kind of telling me that um, that she loved me. And that she was happy that I was a part of her life. And I look at that now and I think that she was so much more important in my life. More than any, anyone would ever know. How did you learn that your daughter had been murdered? And what were some of the immediate things that went through your mind? If anything, maybe nothing did. It's the worst phone call that any parent would ever want to get in their entire life. Let me back up. 
because that day I woke up and I'm going to tell you, I, I, I'm a praying mom and mm-hmm. I pray for my children mm-hmm. each and every day. And we were in the middle of the, you know, the pandemic Two were home from college. I have my two youngest ones. One goes to, went to East Stroudsburg and one to Valley Forge Military College. And of course they were sent home. They were sitting in the living room, my two youngest. I have an open window and you can see into my living room. And I was washing dishes, but I looked over and all I could see was, all I felt was I wanted the three of them together again. And I got emotional. Hmm. And my daughters looked over and said, mom, what's wrong? And I said, I just wish that you were all, you know, little again and that you were all, we were all here together. Then I kind of went about my day just a little bit. And then we got a phone call and I got the phone call and it, and it happened um, to be a detective that actually called me. He was very kind. Um, but we just, I just screamed and I remember screaming and I remember my daughter, uh, my youngest daughter taking the phone. We all cried together and I just, yeah, we all cried together and, um, it was uh, the hardest day of my life. And what has the impact of her loss been on your family? It's been a great loss. No matter where she was, she always would remember your your birthday, a special time. Like I said, my kids were close, Hmm. um, all three of them. And like I said, they supported each other. And so it's very hard to see my youngest not have their sister, but I've lost my firstborn. She was without siblings for a long time. So my children are six years apart. We kind of grew together and it's, and it's hard. That's one of the hardest things that you ever have to do is to bury a child. After the grief, of course, there was a tremendous need to find out who and why. And there was a while in, in, in terms of finding out who and then actually capturing the person who was accused of killing her, Akhenaten Jones, who I believe was caught in Los Angeles. When you heard that he had been arrested and brought into custody, how did you feel? I imagine that those months of not knowing was unspeakable, but did it change anything? It did. Um, most families don't get this opportunity because there were so many before my daughter. And, <clears throat> and they, don't get the, they didn't get the opportunity. There was anger. There was relief. He was off the street and couldn't do anything to anyone else. And that there is a chance for justice. There have been some conflicting reports as to whether he knew her. And I'm wondering if you had any more detail on whether they did know each other well or not. Because I think that one of the things that people often don't understand is that so many times 
these are in, instances of, of intimate partner violence. That is to say, the people that end up murdering Black trans women know Black trans women. They're not strangers. I, I don't really know. She may have known, you know, known him. Whether he knew my daughter or not did not give him the right to do what he did. And again, so often it happens to Black trans women and they're undervalued. You know, there's so many opportunities for us to get life right in helping others. And, you know, whether she knew him or not, I can't bring her back. I wish I could. But my goal is that Black trans women will be able to be heard, be seen, and be protected. That's, that, that's the point here, protected. If you have the opportunity, first of all, you may not want the opportunity, but if you have the opportunity and wanted the opportunity to either tell him something, what would you, what would you say to him? You know, you, you, you go over in your mind over and over again what you would say. Um, I want him to just look me in my face. I want him to know that she was loved and she had a family that loved her. I just want him to see me. I know that she just, she wasn't a piece of trash that was just thrown out in a way. She was someone's child. And I want him to know that she was someone's child. She was someone's sister. She was someone's niece. She was someone's daughter. She was someone's friend. My last question is, you know, during a period of so much difficulty of loving your daughter and then losing your daughter last year and now being able to see the person who did it held to account. I'm wondering if you have an idea yet of what healing looks like for you and healing looks like for your family. Healing looks like that he will never be able to hurt someone else again. Healing looks like my family advocating for change. Healing looks like taking some things that I found from Rem, that found of Remy's that she had and how she wanted to help others in the community. I have that. That's my healing. I want to move forward advocating and for change. That's, that's going to be my healing space. Well, I think that everyone listening is 1000% with you and behind you when you underscore the need for change and for us to have a world, as you said, where Black trans women have supported and are protected. I know that the love that you had for daughter is something that everyone will be able to hear and connect to. And I think, again, we all just honor you and the way in which you love your daughter and are sending you the best as you continue to advocate for a world where there won't be many more obituaries like Remy's. I, again, I, I thank you for 
um, allowing me the space to be able to talk today and to be able to uplift her her name in a different light um, and to let everyone know that there's love in families of Black transgender women. And if you don't feel that, my arms are wide open to give love to Black trans women. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us. That was Terry Edmonds, the mother of Dominique Remy Fells, a vibrant Black trans woman who was murdered last summer. Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. In the movement for trans liberation, there are many mothers. People in our communities creating resources and supporting us in profound ways. One such woman is Lasaya Wade. She's the founder and executive director of the Brave Space Alliance, the first Black and trans-led LGBTQ center on the south side of Chicago. It's an organization committed to creating and providing affirming, culturally competent resources, programming, and services for and by the communities they serve. Lasaya is also known for her powerful activism, which includes being the central organizer for the largest march for trans rights in Midwestern history, the Trans Liberation Protest Chicago, and she's a new mother. For all of these reasons, Lasaya, I'm delighted to have you on the show today. I just wanted to let everybody know that we will be focusing on you today, but it is also the case that in addition to having an infant, you have a husband who is also trans. You all are recently married, but Today, as I said, we're going to focus on you, and I'm so happy that you're joining us. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm wondering if you can just describe your journey into motherhood. Um, Is it something for yourself that you saw for yourself when you were young? No, I did not. I wanted the new shoes. I wanted the new cars. I wanted the new Louis Vuitton bag that came out, um, the exclusive bags. I never thought I would be a mother. It's so funny because Precious Brady Davis said the same thing about <laughs> almost exactly uh, to a T. When did you decide this is something that I want to do? I was thrown into it. (laughs) (laughs) How do you get thrown into it? The reason why I was thrown into it is when I was younger, I had to raise my two younger sisters. Um, I had parents that were very much so drug addicts. And Mm. then I had to learn how to grow up really quick. 
Um, um, I took started taking care of my younger sisters when I was the age of 16. I had to drop out of high school wow. um, to actually make sure the bills are paid, make sure they were fed, make sure they went to school. So I was quickly thrown into parenthood in that motion. And I had to learn very much so quickly what motherhood actually really looked on myself. And um, ever since then, I've been mothering either my sisters or my community. Wow. So can you explain the process of how you were thrown into this version of motherhood with a child that you and your partner created together uh, as a trans couple? I wanted to just have a sense of when you went from this is something that I want to do to this is something that I want to do and that we will do. I mean, it totally makes sense against your, your life and the backdrop of your life that this was something that would not be on the scheduled agenda. So when did it get on the scheduled agenda for you? It was about three years ago. Um, We were having conversations around we are parenting community. We are parenting everyone else but our own. And what did it look like for us to have our own? Or what did it look like to start a family of our own? Um, And it, it came to a point of like, should we? Is it possible? Um, the work that we do is very scary. Um, will we bring a child in this world? Should we bring a child in this world together? So it was multiple questions that we asked each other. It was multiple points of like, we wanted to adopt and we're still going to adopt, but um, we wanted to have something that was me and his, um, a connection that uh, me and him have. And was it his idea? Um, Who started the conversation? Or did you both say at the same time, look at each other and be like, you know, there's something else we want to do because we are parenting. So let's parent together with the child that we create. Or was it someone's idea first? No, it was both of us. Um, We both have been, he had, was a parent of his younger siblings as well. I was, and then I had multiple gay kids and he had one. Um, and it was just like, yo, all this knowledge that we're spreading around and all this knowledge that we're giving to everyone else, um, we can cultivate our own and them actually really, um, taking our knowledge and, and, and leveling it up. So you decided to go on this, this journey together. Um, And what did you two learn in the process of getting ready to create, of um, waiting for the child to get here, and then the early months of of infanthood? What have you two learned, or how has it shifted you all as a couple? It was a headache. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be honest. It was very stressful. Um, He's getting older. I am getting younger. Um, So You mean your your partner's getting older? Yes, yes, yes. As long as they have retinol, I will always get younger. (laughs) Um, So, uh, um, but yeah, we, we, and time was ticking. So it was a point of either we're going to do it now or we're not going to do it at all. Um, so once we had that conversation with ourselves, it's like, okay, now we need to dive into it. And then it became a stressful moment of like uh, figuring out the times to make sure that we can try to conceive or 
what did it look like or um then then sex wasn't fun anymore right. uh, it, it was it was so many things that was like oh I love having sex with you, but now I hate having sex with you um, because now we, we have to have sex at particular times, right? And we didn't have people to actually have a conversation with um, oh. to like, what di- what did it look like for two trans people to actually try to conceive or and explicitly two black trans people oh. um, trying to conceive? So um, yeah, it was stressful at the beginning, but um after one morning, it was a, a long week of him like really moody at me. And I'm just like, why is he flipping these last few days? And what is happening? And he was in the kitchen. Um, but I came around the corner and I was like, I think you're pregnant because you have been nothing but an ass to me <laughs> these last few days. And then he looks at me and was like, why in the hell is you in my head? I went to the Walgreens today and I got a pregnancy test and I'm pregnant. Wow. And I'm like, are you serious? Are, I'm like, then I went, are you going to be nice to me? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so um, that's how we found out a few months later um, after December or March hit, the pandemic hit. And then that's when our journey started. You touched upon this intersection. I think it's really important of being a Black couple and a trans couple and conceiving. How do you think that parenting is different as a Black trans couple and as a Black trans woman? How is it, how is it different? Um, we were already, see, as a trans woman, we already received a particular type of, of violence towards people of like our womanhood or, mm-hmm. and explicitly him at, around his manhood. Mm-hmm. Um, we were very careful around posting particular things because I have a, a, a huge following on Facebook and explicitly around like feminism. And, and I knew there will be a particular type of attack that will come towards our identities, right? So we were very careful around um, having particular language or being in particular spaces, but it was a plus because we, we, we had a baby during the pandemic, so we were already home and we weren't in a lot of spaces. We, we didn't have to deal with a lot of things that um, most pregnant people have to deal with outside of society. It was like a double-edged sword back then. And it's still a double-edged sword right now, but we were very careful to navigate that space. Yeah, it's so important. I'm wondering if you have thought about or what resources you think need to be created for Black trans people and Black trans couples who are creating families and wanting to create families. So... With that is it's is very rare, uh, and what I mean by it is, it's a lot of us out there trying to have kids or trying to conceive or even mm-hmm. in partnership with other trans people. So we really had to figure out what queer spaces that we actually are feeling comfortable going into without um, the the oohs and the ahs of like black trans people are in this space they are pregnant, and then oh we have to talk about what it looked like to be anti black. Well, we're just trying to really have a baby right now. <laughs> uh, and focus our energy on that and making sure that he is okay through this moment. Less stress, um, please less talk. Um, but how do we make sure we move through this moment of having a baby right now? And explicitly navigating a system um, 
where Black pregnant bodies are constantly under worry around, will I make it out on the end throughout this uh, medical system? So luckily enough that we had his sister. His sister is a midwife um, and also a nurse. And that was a pinnacle point for us. And also one of our good friends um, is was a midwife as well. So we really had uh, the support that we needed to navigate the medical system. Uh, if we had to go to the hospital or if we had to go to see a nurse in particular moments. But we we really had a sister there. So in the moments, it was just less stress around that. Yeah, I think that it's a really powerful point that we know that infant mortality and Black people who give birth dying are at epidemic and off the charts level And the reason why they're the highest is, according to the CDC, this is not me making it up, is almost exclusively due to racism um, when you isolate for everything else. And then if you layer being on trans on top of that and the stereotypes, I I think that it's a really powerful point that you make and one that we, we need to focus on even more. And I'm glad that you were able to have the support to navigate that. As you raise your son, as you touched upon before, you all have been very intentful Mm -hmm. and focused on creating this being and a certain type of being in the world. What do you hope to impart to him as he grows up? Um, When when you ask that, I I go into this thought that uh, my gay mother, Valerie Spencer, tells me is that Mm -hmm. you're literally creating liberation as a Black trans person. This is the pinnacle of a child being liberated from um, all types of chains. The understanding that trans people cannot give birth or have kids. The understanding that queer people cannot give birth or have kids. The understanding that Black, queer, and trans people um, and the parents fighting uh, uh, are freedom fighters too, right? So this Mm. child or children, therefore, after that are raised by us, are able to live with with chains that we have broken. I hmm. call our, our generation the the chain breakers and and I call the next generation the ankle breaker breakers. The reason why I say that is because we brought in our generation brought in what it looks like to rest. And next thing you know it the next generation is to come in and run and understanding what rest looks like while running without having to worry about the traumas of our parents and our ancestors. So I am excited to see this little liberated mind just to be able to give all types of pushback. And the reason why I say all types of pushback, because I'm excited to see what they, what they talk about or how they push back in school when they're talking about historical things in school or um, talk about blackness because his father is so involved in pan-Africanism and the understanding around blackness. Mm-hmm. Um, I can just imagine the force that we, he will have when he gets older. Wow. Well, one thing I should say is that um, you mentioned uh, Valerie Spencer, who is an amazing person and figure in our community. But if she's listening, she'll be very upset if we don't say the Reverend Valerie Spencer. (laughs) We'll hear about it. You'll hear about it first. I won't Um, because she's my mother. (laughs) (laughs) um, But she knows I honor her daily. um, Yes. And respectfully. But yes, that Reverend Valerie Spencer. Exactly. So I wanted to end kind of where 
you began in thinking about this stage of your parenting journey, which is how you are a mother in a community and how your leadership and executive directorship flows out of a sense of caretaking and motherhood. And I'm wondering how parenting has shifted your activism or what you want to achieve with Race Space Alliance. Um, parenting has always shifted my activism. Um, like I stated before, it, it came from a young age of understanding that you have to take care. You have to be able to not love, but also be this It's a certain type of black stern love that you have to give. Um, and it, and it, it doesn't come with malice. It doesn't come with any type of like pain. It doesn't come, come from that at all. Uh, but it's a particular type of vibration that black and brown bodies actually can carry when we actually really intentionally are loving and care for the people that are around us without judgment. My mother told me a while ago, a long time ago, she said, I don't care if you run around with a tutu. All I'm going to do is ask to make sure you got water, you got socks or shoes on to make sure you don't get cuts. And I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to make sure you're, walk, you're running up and down the street and I'm going to sit on the porch and enjoy myself like while you enjoy yourself while on your run. And that is a good placement of non-judgmental care, right? And that has always moved into how I maneuver throughout this world is I don't care what you do, who you are, how you come into the space. I just want to make sure you got enough food, resources, and water and clothes if you need them um, when you leave this door. Um, and that will, that's always how I'm going to maneuver throughout this world with enough love to make sure that you understand that this is always going to be a place where you are loved, cared for, and it's going to always feel like home when you walk through these doors. I think that I can speak for everyone that we can't wait to see not only how motherhood continues to shape your leadership, but your family and through what you all have been able to create both in terms of your work and your family. And I just want to thank you for taking the time out of incredibly busy time as a new parent and a leader and as a wife to talk to us today. I'm so grateful. No problem. Thank you. I appreciate being in this space and I'm excited to listen to it as well. Thank you. Thank you. And happy Mother's Day. Thank you. That was Lasaya Wade, the founder and executive director of the Brave Space Alliance. She's also a new mother. Thank you for joining me on the Translash podcast. Now listen all the way through to the end of this show for something extra. I'm Amara Jones. If you like what you heard, please go to Apple Podcast to rate and review us. You can listen to Translash wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on the web at translash.org to sign up for our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Translash Media. Like us on Facebook and tell your friends. The Translash Podcast is produced by Translash Media. The Translash team includes Oliver Ash Klein, Montana Thomas, and Yannick Ike Mirko. Our intern is Miranda Munson Burke. Alexander Charles Adams does the sound editing for our show. Jay McAuliffe helped with production for today's episode. Our digital strategy is handled by Daniela Capistrano. The music you heard was composed by Ben Draghi and also courtesy of ZZK Records. The Translash podcast is made possible by the support of the Heising Simons Foundation.
All right, Translash fam, what am I looking forward to? Well, the reality is that my birthday is on Sunday, May 9th. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Of course, it's going to be weird. One, it's on Mother's Day. And sadly, I lost my mother uh, to cancer 10 years ago. So um, it's always hard. And I actually learned of uh, her cancer on Mother's Day. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was in New York and... Uh, was flying to Atlanta that weekend because we were going to celebrate Mother's Day because that weekend, that year was over a weekend. Um, and I called my mom on uh, my birthday and um, she was really, really, really ill that day. And I basically forced her to go to the hospital. And I think I flew down the next day and she was in the hospital. And that began a year long, almost a year long journey into illness and eventual passing. So that's always a mixed day for me. But I have to say that um, there's so many people, nearly 600,000 people that will not be here this year. And although I won't be able to celebrate with my friends in the way that I wish, um, I'm in New York and we could do it outside, but it's going to rain this weekend. Um, I am grateful to be alive and I will find other ways to celebrate um, perhaps later in May or June, but I'm just grateful to be alive. And I don't feel the need to make a massive splash about that because um, there's been so much loss and um, and uh, sometimes breath is the gift. That's what I'm thinking about. 